0: Hey everyone, just chiming in here before we get into the actual intro, um, just to let you know that I had a, a little hiccup last week. I had the rerun, the episode titled "Is a Carbon Fiber Shoe Right for Me" with Simon Bartold. Fascinating conversation, but uh, I had it scheduled out, ready to go, but didn't include the audio clip, so it didn't get released out into the world. So you might have noticed last week. Once I realized that that happened, I quickly published it. And then the next day was the actual schedule release for the next episode, which was when you need to rehab, but want to race. And so you may not have realized, but um, those episodes were released back to back in consecutive days. And so you might've just opened it up and saw the latest one and not realized that the rerun was actually released. So um, if you wanted to go back and see that um, by all means, uh, dive through the the episodes and go to to that episode. I also, in that episode, announced about my daughter being born. Mackenzie is three weeks old now at the time of recording. And so looking at the downloads, um, that episode didn't get as many downloads just because I think I um, had a bit of a hiccup there. I wouldn't blame the lack of sleep and being sleep deprived for that error. I think it was more just... Changing routine, trying to quickly get things done to attend to Mackenzie, but um, figured it all out. Hopefully that sort of hiccup doesn't happen again. And let's get on with today's episode. On today's episode, Ashley's success story. Welcome to the podcast, helping you train, rehab and run smarter. When I first started running in my 20s, I knew it would be something I'd be passionate about for the rest of my life. But, unfortunately, developing injury after injury disrupted my progress and left me under-trained at the start line on race day. Even with my knowledge as a physio, I still fell victim to the vicious injury cycle and when searching for answers, struggled to decipher between common running myths and evidence-based guidance. That's what this podcast is here to help you with. Join me as a Run Smarter Scholar, and let's break the injury cycle by raising your running IQ and achieving running feats you never thought possible. Oh, do I have a story for you. (laughs) Ashley is a lovely human, but jumped onto an injury chat with me um, several months ago and was you know, just in a really bad way, going from marathon to marathon in a lot of pain and just compelled to do them and had been suffering with pain for years up to what 2014 is when this PHT first started. So approaching 10 years, that is ridiculous. And just, um, in her own little cycle, in her own little, um, putting up with the injury, sort of managing it, but at the same time, just wanting to go through race, race, improve, improve. And we started working together. We sort of tried to break that habit and instill a lot of tools and strategies alongside the strategies that she was already learning by listening to the podcast. And it all just sort of came together. All went really well, it took a quite a while. Um, but Now she can share her success story, which I think a lot of people are going to benefit from and sort of relate the same sort of situation, whether it's as severe as Ashley's or whether it's like on a smaller scale, nonetheless, the same approach needs to be taken. So she is lovely and bubbly. And I said this at the end of our interview, she is quite a talker. You'll uh, gather that quite soon into the interview, but you're going to love this story. This is one of my favorites. Let's dive in. Ashley, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Me too. Um, How about we dive in with a bit of an introduction? Um, Can you let people know who you are and what your, I guess, running history is like?
1: All right. So um, I'm Ashley and um, I'm an English professor at a university on the East Coast in the United States. Um, I have been running since high school. I was a very unlikely athlete. My dad tried to um, get me into, oh, I don't know, t-ball and basketball and all the things. He's very athletic Um, and nothing stuck. Um, And originally though, then in high school, I started running just as a way to like burn calories. Um, but then I joined the cross country team, um, my senior year of uh, high school, and I was not half bad. And so that (laughs) that led me to join my team, uh, at the university I went to for my first and second year of college. Um, but then I, I went on study abroad during the spring semester of, uh, college and I came back from that pretty sick and that caused me to lose my junior season. Um, And we were mostly running like 5K and 6K distances in uh, cross country. But the fact that I lost that season actually led me to discover the half marathon and, um, you know, getting away from 5K and 6K and getting into some of those slower and longer distances was actually really good for me because then I graduated in 2006 um, and then in 2007, I ran my first full marathon qualified for the Boston marathon at that first race. And that just started my love of the marathon distance. And I have been running marathons as my primary race distance ever since. Um, and I hope to continue doing so for many years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's, um, how many marathons and like, what sort of, uh, marathons have you stepped to?
1: So I have, I just, so I just ran my fifth Boston Marathon, which I will probably reference later. Um, and that was, um, and that's my favorite marathon in North America, but that was also my 15th marathon. Um, it's my 16th training cycle, but the marathon I was training for in 2020, uh, did not happen due to the, uh, the COVID shutdown and lockdown of everything. So, um, yeah, I've been, I run about, I don't know, one to two a year.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, so quite experienced when, you know, comparing with most recreational runners, um, talk about, it was 2014, I think, when you Mm -hmm. said that the PHT first started emerging, uh, what was happening around about that time?
1: So this is, this is really complicated. And I feel like I've told you, um, I don't know, like five different versions of the story because it like, and it, there were, (laughs) I was having so many different symptoms, um, but it was 2014. I was training for my second Boston Marathon at the time. Um, and I was experiencing my first real symptoms of PHT, but it was mixed with a bunch of other things. Now, prior to 2014, um, I'd had like just about every runner's injury you can possibly imagine from it band pain to stress fractures to inflammation in my metatarsals um like everything except for runner's knee so like knock on wood that that never happens um but in 2014 i started having really sharp pains high up in my hamstring as well as in the belly of the muscle and i was having weird hip flexor pain and i don't know if that was related to the pht um, the pain moved around a lot and so those initial symptoms were very difficult to diagnose, and some of the pain felt a little bit like nervy. Um, and so, you know, as I was doing the Google deep dive and going crazy, um, I was like, "Do I have sciatica? Do I have piriformis syndrome?" Um, and then over the years, this intensified to the point where just like doing normal things, like doing like bending over to pick up a weed in the garden, like if I'm gardening for a day, like that became unbearable. Um, just because of the compression that that was creating around the tendon, um, I drive an hour and a half into work. And so those car trips became really unbearable. Um, I would spend the entire, like I would spend the entire car ride, like wiggling my leg back and forth, trying to release some tension. Um, and, and so that was also like really terrible. And that kind of, you know, led me to think like, I need to, this, this is like really serious um, because it's affecting my normal life.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems like, you know, training wise, there might be something awry there if you've had such a long history of injuries mm-hmm. so early on, like, well, you know, year one, year two of marathon training, if all of those are popping up, which we might dive into um, in a bit. But so with this amalgamation of symptoms, like all, all over the place, hip flexor, that sort of stuff, um, at what point did you find a diagnosis?
1: Um, not till you. <laughs> okay. So it was, it was essentially listening to your podcast. Um, okay. and you know, I had, I remember bringing into my, what was it? My third PT, a little printout that I'd gotten on Google that was titled proximal hamstring tendinopathy. And I was like, I really think this might be what I have. Um, but none of, and you know, I, I, I mentioned this, you know, I, I was thinking about this maybe later on in another question, but like none of my PTs or doctors that I had seen gave me a real diagnosis. Um, and and so, you know, I started listening to your podcast. I was hearing a lot about PHT. I discovered, I discovered the PHT podcast second to the Run Smarter podcast. Um, and I was like, this is it. This has to be it. And then you confirmed a lot of that as we've um, conversed back and forth about this injury.
0: Mm. And so prior to that, prior to discovering the podcast, was there... Uh, any rehab attempts? What did that look like? And was there any success?
1: Yeah. So this is really interesting. Um, so, okay. So let's see. I had, I had, I've seen two sports physicians, I had an arthrogram, which, for those who don't know, that's like a fancy um, MRI where they inject a dye, and in, in my case, into my hip joint to check for a labral tear. So that was completely traumatic. Um, multiple x rays, um, as I said, four PTs before Brody. Um, and, you know, noth- none of the imaging came back with anything helpful. Um, my PTs batted around possible diagnoses, like like I said before, piriformis or sciatica, but they were very hesitant to formally diagnose me with anything. And that was extremely frustrating. Um, I mean, this just made me go crazy because I do have a decent understanding of anatomy and the fact that no one could tell me like, this is what's going on. Th- this just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I felt like I was really stuck with this issue. Like I, what, I mean, there's just like nothing that I can do to fix this. Um, I had dry needling done to my glute med um, uh, and my hamstring and my psoas, which was the psoas muscle was particularly interesting and traumatic, They <laughs> have to do that through the back. Um, and most of these rehab attempts were helpful to some degree Um, my first PT, for example, was convinced that like all my problems boiled down to weakness in the glute need. And I did genuinely have some muscle imbalance there. So strengthening that muscle relieved some pain and, and got me through that particular race cycle, but this didn't really solve the bigger problem. And I also wonder, you know, as I'm doing glute need exercises, some of those, you know, can kind of, you know, tangentially like help the, the, um, the proximal hamstring, um, depending on what it is, you know, squats or or some deadlifts and that sort of thing, and so, you know, like maybe maybe I was really just helping that that tendon rather than actually fixing, um, rather than focusing on the glute med. I don't know. Other PTs worked on what felt like basic exercise that didn't involve a lot of weight and just targeted like just general lower body. Um, But again, it just kind of felt like I was shooting fish in a barrel, like I'm doing all these exercises. We're bound to fix something, but we weren't really targeting the kind of rehab that is specific to PhD.
0: Yeah. sounds very frustrating, especially around the diagnosis side (laughs) of things. And you've used the word traumatic quite often and it's, anxiety provoking I know most people like let's just get an MRI let's just get the answers and they think that the MRI will reveal the answers but unfortunately it doesn't unfortunately like Mm -hmm. some cases most cases that I see uh, but I have a bit of a skewed population sample size but um, most of the people I see it's incidental findings it's like coming Mm -hmm. back with nothing or it's coming back with a whole bunch of stuff and You know, you're sort of a bit confused, but just makes a bit more, you're a bit more anxious, a bit more worried. Why can't they find the answer when I've had pain for so long? And that psychological trauma can really, you know, hinder the rehab process because being in a negative like mindset and uh, not a a calm, positive um, state of mind can really hinder recovery in that sense as well. So it sort of just compiles and then years and years go by, um, can really perpetuate things.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you know, like when I'm using traumatic, it's usually because there's a needle involved and I really do not like needles, but I do agree with you that like, I mean, I've been injured since 2014 I've had serious pain since 2014 with very little answers. And you're right. You do get into this mindset that is pretty negative. I mean, I, I had given up on another PR I was like that. That part of my life is old, or is over, and I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, and you know, now that this, now that this injury is um, sort of on the upswing, and I am seeing some serious progress—not not fully cured, but like getting there—and I can see light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I'm, you know, I'm starting to think about like, well, you know, I think a PR could still be something that is possible. Um, and so that is really exciting. Um, and kind of getting out of that cycle of negativity is, is another really positive thing. And to get back to doing something that I really love and being able to have a really good attitude about it is, uh, fabulous.
0: Yeah. And you've mentioned, you know, being in significant pain for such a long period of time, you know, getting or doing these glute meat exercises, doing the, Hands on stuff like dry needling and release work and that sort of stuff. Um, probably important to know that you're still racing, you're still going to through these training cycles and going through the races and that sort of stuff. Um, could you kind of summarize what the symptoms were like? Are you were you just getting by? Um, were you just trying to get to the finish line or trying to race fast? How- just, I understand that's like 10 years of, of, um, in the process, but can you give people a bit of insight there?
1: Yeah. So, um, I, I, ran, I, I, I'm looking kind of at some of my notes here and I mean, I ran Boston, Chicago, Boston, again, Marine Corps, Portland, Oregon marathon, rock and roll, DC, Boston, the JFK 50 miler, um, trained for one in 2020 and then just ran Salisbury, in 2022, in the spring, Baltimore Marathon in the fall, and most recently did the Boston. I've done all of that injured, Um, which, you know, we can talk about the um, intelligence of doing, (laughs) whether that was smart or not, (laughs) um, in a little bit, but um, yeah, it, the, sort of the cycle of what that is like is, um, I mean, I'm doing something I love, and that is really wonderful, but what was happening in training is that especially when it you know, I'm I'm doing I was doing speed work twice a week plus a long run and I I was running five days a week. So I was having two quote unquote easy days, but they were not particularly easy. I was running a lot faster than I should have been. And so, you know, I'd start out for a run during these training cycles, and it would just be agonizing to start. Um, just that stiff stiffness and pain, um, you know, right over your sit bones. And then, you know, I'd kind of warm up for a couple miles and and I'd be okay. And I could, I could kind of force my way through these, you know, like for example, like a tempo run, um, where I'm trying to hit race pace or faster and faster is ideal on a tempo run. You know, I'm really trying to get, you know, to threshold and do that for several miles. And then just, you know, as the years went by, just not being able to hit pace and getting slower and slower where, you know, I used to be able to be well under like a minute under race pace. Um, You know, even hitting race pace was incredibly difficult and incredibly painful. Um, And so that was, you know, again, really, really frustrating and did that for years. Um, So I don't know if that quite answered the question. Was there something more specific you were looking for there?
0: I think it's a, it's good to get that, like encapsulate, kind of just trying to do what you love or still doing what you love, going from marathon training, doing a training cycle, doing the race. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Um, and just holding on through like discomfort and tolerable at times discomfort and just trying to make sure that, yeah, it's pain, but I can do it and I'm doing what I love and just sort of, you know, mixing all of that into a bunch from race to race, season to season, um. Yeah, I I think that's a a nice insight. But then you found the podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you started listening, were there any revelations there? Did you change anything? Was there in terms of your rehab or the way you approached running, anything that you learned there?
1: (laughs) Yes. So um, the first thing I started doing was, and this is all based on the podcast. Um, I started lifting heavier weights, which, as it turned out, was not nearly heavy enough. And this is like and I had a good laugh about this, and this is a story I tell people when I, you know, talk about first beginning to work with you um, on our first call. I told you, you know, what I was lifting in the deadlift, and I was really proud of myself because I was lifting 30 pounds, <laughs> and um, you were like, "Um, oh, no, <laughs> you need to at least double that," and you know, so. So, and for the record, there's just, you know, so the listeners know, like, I'm now up to 105 pounds and I'm really proud of myself, which well done. Me, if there's any CrossFitters in in the audience, they're going to roll their eyes, but that's really heavy for me. Um, and it was the podcast though, that got me started down that road of thinking, you know, I really need to be lifting heavier. So, so that's one of the places I started. Um, I also really appreciated the podcast's emphasis on like continuing to run. And the, you know, you talk about what is it, what's the phrase you use, like the rest
0: Pain, rest, weakness.
1: Yeah, downward spiral. So cool. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I had been, you know, I've been really lucky through this injury in that, like, I could bike without any problem. So I could cross train. Um, but I just really loved the idea that you know running was still allowed. Um, as long as I kept it really slow and really easy, and so that allowed me to get in the miles, which is always my first priority no matter what, you know, I want to spend time outside, um, running is my therapy. It's how I stay sane. It's how I reduce anxiety. Um, and so, you know, when I found that my body could handle higher mileage, even, even if it wasn't at the high paces that I wanted to run, you know, that's really important information. And that really came from the podcast. Um, and you know, it, it so and I also learned that you know this is not so much distance that was triggering this; it's speed. Um, I was also based on you know some of what you were talking about in the podcast. I was doing a lot of like static holds, like bridges, um, and that set me up to progress immediately into other heavier lifts. Um, when we actually started working together, um, so all of that was like really great foundational advice that got me started
0: foundational is a good word for it. Just like learning these principles. Okay. Speed really affected. So let me still keep the mileage, but let's just, you know, slow things down. And yes, we do need to start doing heavier stuff because the slow, heavy stuff is where tendons really start to adapt and start to really respond. Um, but then something compelled you to jump onto an injury chat. So, um, what, what, what sort of made you, uh, make that decision?
1: Um, I was not progressing on my own. <laughs> and so okay. and there was, there was like a really obvious reason for this that I've sort of referred to before. Um, despite the fact that I thought I was slowing down on runs, um, similar to your reaction to, you know, when I told you what I was deadlifting, when I told you what I considered like an easy pace, you were like, um, no, way too fast. Um, and so one of the things that I was, that I really appreciated about that injury chat was like, you have, you have a very blunt honesty. Um, you, you don't sugarcoat anything and that's not a criticism. That's actually what I I think that's something that runners really need. Um, because you know, and, and me, like I'm a case in point. I ran through an injury for like how many years? I mean, for the better part of a decade, I ran in, in pretty severe pain. Um, and so you are the, you are the first of five PT or yeah, the first of five PTs to tell me not to sign up for a race. Um, Nobody, I was racing through all of these physical therapists um, and, you know, I signed up for the race anyway. (laughs) But, you know, knowing myself, I know that I will always try to push boundaries. And because of that, and I think a lot of runners are like this, you know, it's important to have somebody who's going to tell you when you're being unwise and you use that term so so nicely, you use the word unwise and I'm like, you know, don't be stupid. Um, and so that's actually what sold me on working with you because again, like runners, this is, you've, you've talked about this on prior podcasts, but being a runner is so um, ingrained into my identity and, and not just that, it's like I said before, it's how I reduce anxiety. I love it. I, I love being outside. Um, you know, if I have to, I'll, I'll, get on a treadmill, but that's not why I run, you know? And so we, we need somebody to sort of like pull on the reins a little bit, um, so that this sport can be something that we do, um, you know, into old age and, and it's about longevity, not just, you know, the, the current race on, on the calendar.
0: Yeah. I think. One of the um, benefits of me diving into these injury chats is I can sort of I get a fresh look at your story over the past 10, 15 years. And it's pretty easy to look at uh, a pattern or, you know, just see what's been happening um, pretty obviously when sometimes someone in the heat of the moment just goes race to race or like even just week by week, month by month, um, marathon to marathon. They just like, they live in that sort of heed the moment of just sort of getting by. And um, when we jumped on the chat, it was so clear that, you know, running too fast, really, really passionate about marathons, love running, but also in a lot of pain for a very long time. And you mentioned the sugarcoating things. Sometimes I do sugarcoat on calls with <laughs> with clients, but sometimes you get a person where you're like okay they need a firmer sort of approach to this you need to actually be a bit stricter because like you said if you give them a little bit of slack on the rope they'll they'll take it and we needed to really be quite firm with you so that and like you said you've responded a bit better to that whereas if you had a bit of leeway a bit of freedom or flexibility then you would choose to run further run faster you know go harder that sort of stuff and so um that I guess approach was, uh, by design purely based <laughs> on like personality and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, quite obvious that we needed to take a step back and change something. Um, yeah. can you, can you share, I mean, can, you, um,
1: see, can I like jump in really quick here? I just wanted to like piggyback off of that because the other thing that that has done, like it, it has taught me how to push the boundaries without, going over the cliff. And so, you know, for the, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a, in an actual PT session, but like, I, you know, I've spent the last two weeks um, I'm, a li- I'm more or less out of marathon recovery now. Um, but I spent the past two weeks, like, okay, let's see what I can do. And I've walked right up to that edge of where I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little sore tomorrow, but then it resolves by the next day. And so, you know, it's not something where I'm having a massive flare up. It's like, let's push that tendon to where there can be some adaptation but let's not let's not overdo it and let's make sure that the next day is not also a hard session um and running easy runs truly easy so you know this is something that this has been a lesson that i can apply you know on my own independently now and that that's invaluable
0: mm. can you share uh your previous like before us jumping on a call what you thought your slow run was in terms of pace mm-hmm. and now what you think a good slow pace mm-hmm. is
1: yeah. And actually that, this is the kind of thing that like I find really helpful when I, when I hear other people share, like what is an easy pace? So in my head, I had an idea of what easy was and easy was anything from like a 745 to maybe an 830 mile pace. Now keep in mind that previously my marathon pace has danced you know, upward or downward, like around a 730 mile pace. And so I was thinking that 745 is easy um, and that's, you know, completely ludicrous. Um, and so these days, you know, cause so just to back that up, like just because something is slightly slower than your marathon race pace and marathon race pace should feel somewhat easy, you know, on the day of the race, um, so that you can sustain it for 26 miles. Um, 745 is, is not, you know, just a couple, you know, 15 seconds slower. That is not. Easy pace, true easy pace for me these days. Um, I, I base it a lot on heart rate, which can vary depending on, you know, my stress levels, my sleep, um, how hard I ran the day before. But let's say I ran a, a tough session the day on a Tuesday and I'm headed out for an easy run on a Wednesday. That easy run is going to be a 10 minute mile or slower, um, anywhere between 10 and 11 minute miles, like truly just sort of, you know, Prancing along, um, and I try to keep cadence high and keep form looking good um, when I'm doing those easy runs. But yeah, a 10 minute to an 11 minute pace is not unusual after a hard session. Now, if I'm coming at the run a little bit fresher, so like let's say Thursday after I've done a really really easy run, um, I might hit you know nine minute miles, and that'll feel Mm -hmm. easy. Um, But absolutely no no faster than that. Um, Anything under a nine minute mile is is too fast.
0: Yeah, I've just pulled up a conversion chart just so those <laughs> who are in kilometers. Uh, so you said a seven forty-five per minute per mile pace was what you thought your slow pace was initially, and mm-hmm. just looking it up, it's probably about a four minute 50, four minute fifty-two per kilometer um, pace. And then you said that now it's about, um, did you say it's like about a ten minute mile that you would do?
1: Yeah. 10 to 11 minute even.
0: Yeah. So 10 minute mile is like a 6.15 mm-hmm. per kilometer pace. And 11 minutes is probably hovering around a 6 minute 52 or something like that. 6 minute 51 per kilometer pace. So a uh, huge difference. Like yes. sometimes when it comes to these intensities, sometimes a 30 second difference um, is, is all that it takes, but... We needed to really shift you. Um, That's like, you know, it's a game changer. It's a different sport when you go that Mm. fast compared to to, um, those different paces. So good for people to realize maybe people have had the same realization, maybe people are going through the same thing you are and need to have that realization. So thanks for sharing.
1: Yeah, and it gets it gets even more important I think as you age into the sport. Um you know, as a 20-year-old, I could go out and and run hard every day and I was fine. I I you know, I'd roll my ankle or something and you know within 24 hours good to go. These days, you know, I roll my ankle and I'm like I can't run for 2 days. <laughs> um you know, and so yeah, that those those paces become even more important to, you know, again, preserve longevity in the sport.
0: Yeah. So we've kind of alluded to this Answer a little bit, but um I wanted to ask when we started working together, um, was there anything in particular that you found quite surprising or any revelations that you had on top of what we've already discussed?
1: I don't I don't I don't think so. I think I that is about I think I think the speed the speed thing was the biggest the biggest thing. Um that because it was a complete like 180 in my training. Um, and, and also like the, and I, again, we've already kind of mentioned this, but just how heavy I needed to be lifting and, um, and, oh, and also the type of lifting, the slow heavy lifting mm. was, you know, like not just trying to like go as fast as I can through a set, um, to get it over with. Cause I hate lifting. Um, so, you know, just taking my time, um, working on grip strength, that was also like maybe. mean, I don't know if it's a revelation, but you don't realize, you know, I'm, my lower body is really strong because I've put in years and years of running, but my fingers are really not. And so, you know, that was also sort of a barrier and taking a really long time between sets so that I could just grip the the barbell. Um, Mm. So yeah, just sort of like learning, learning how to do this type of rehab was, you know, all of it was very new.
0: Can you go through the type of slow, heavy exercises that you found most Mm -hmm. beneficial?
1: So, I mean, I'm a huge fan of that deadlift. Um, and that, that is probably the one exercise that if I couldn't do anything else, like if I had to pick one, that's the one that I would stick with. And the reason I like that is because, you know, as, as I'm, you know, lowering the weight and I'm getting down into that, you know, full extension where you have that high compression around, um, the tendon that I can, I can feel that like it hurts. Um, But then as I'm going through the sets, that pain reduces. And I'm like, okay, it's working. (laughs) Um, And and you get some pain alleviation out of it, which is great. Um, So that one is really important. Really like that. The lunges as well. Um, And lunges are one where I'm doing, I can't can't do as much weight in the lunge as I can do um, in the deadlift. Um, And I'm usually really, really sore after lunges. And that's mostly just around the glute, not so much PHT um but i like those we're also doing what we call hip extension with a band because i don't i'm not going to a gym so i'm this is all in my home gym um and so it's i don't know how to if i if i'm going to do a good job of describing this but you're standing and you've got a band around your ankle and you're extending a straight leg out behind you to um hit that tendon in a different way and that is another one where i i can really feel like I feel the tendon there and that one hurts. Um, but the pain slowly lessens as I'm working my way through sets. So I really like that as well. We're also doing squats. I hate squats, um, but I do them religiously. Um, and so, yeah, all of, those are sort of the core of what I'm doing. And we've done other things like crab walks with a band, um, Bulgarian split squats, um, bent leg calf raises, just to like, you know, hit all, hit all of the lower body areas. Um, but yeah, the big ones have been the deadlifts I'd say, and the lunges. Those are, those are probably my favorites.
0: And good that we're promoting slow heavy, um, and good that you're promoting deadlift as number one because all the other exercises, yes, squats, but it doesn't really target the upper hamstring, but all those other exercises, you can't really get slow heavy, like the lunges, unless you do like a static lunge as opposed to stepping forward and then going back, um, to Mm -hmm. upright, um you can't it, it can't be slow heavy you have to step yes. forward land knee come down and then you have to drive yourself up quite fast to, to you know get enough momentum to get to the, the starting point and then you mentioned the the banded hip extension you can't go heavy with that that's an open chain mm-hmm. exercise that you simply can't do 50 60 pounds like um a deadlift and so um you know it's just one another reason why the deadlifts are so good it targets the upper hamstring Mm -hmm. you know nothing else targets the upper hamstring more and you can promote that slow heavy stuff and why i prefer it over the single leg deadlift because the single leg you simply can't go heavy enough and it's really hard to control the tempo of it because you're dealing Mm -hmm. with balance and um, momentum to try and bring you back up so um, excellent points there uh so we did prepare, I did say, don't think about races. Um, but you know, at the same time, realize that you love it and you want the, to look forward to these sort of races. And so, um, I guess we kind of had a bit of leeway there in terms of preparing for a marathon. Um, but what were some concessions there? How did we meet in the middle? What was that? The next marathon preparation, what'd that look like?
1: Um, so, so what you're, you're asking about the Boston marathon. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, this was a drastic change in the type of training cycle I had done in the past. So typically, um, you know, I, I, my race or my, my training week starts on Monday and Monday is always a rest day, but then Tuesday I'll go out, you know, normally this is not this past cycle, but on, you know, typically I'd go out for like a hard tempo run anywhere between eight to 10 miles, um, and run most of those miles as fast as I could. Um, and then Wednesday I do like easy, but like, again, my easy pace was not really easy. And then Thursday I go out for like a hit session with like really fast, really hard, but short intervals. Um, and then Friday I'd often take off and then Saturday long run Sunday, quote unquote, easy run. That was not really easy. So just to compare that to what I did this past training cycle, um, I ran virtually no Inner like no extended time at race pace. So previously, I'd been running like up to eight miles at race pace during those tempo runs, um, race pace or faster. Um, And so m- almost all of the running that I did was just slow and easy. And and I again I used heart rate to track that because otherwise like I. I, I just like let myself run as fast as I wanted to. So I had my watch like screaming at me to slow down. Um, I think the longest interval I did was two minutes. Um, and so I was doing some two minute hill repeats just cause Boston is hilly. Um, we did lots and lots of strides. So, um, and strides were and still are a, a major trigger for me. Um, that'll make me sore for a day. Um, but those have gotten to a point which this is a, a little bit of a bunny trail here um but those have gotten to the point where that soreness resolves within 24 hours whereas before it took about two days for that to resolve so you know that small victories here um but otherwise you know i'd have a long run on saturdays um in the current training cycle but it was you know like just super slow and easy just plot along um, and everything else was slow and easy. The, the mileage was also reduced. I was initially in this training cycle, I was cross training on both Wednesday and Sunday on a bike. And then we progressed that so that I was just cross training on Wednesdays so that I was doing some easy runs on Sundays. But I was also I mean, I just wasn't hitting like the high mileage that I would normally hit for a training cycle in this round. Um, so that was, that was hard for me because the, the point, the, I mean, the point of my, you know, my morning, you know, getting out for a run is spending, you know, at least an hour out in some green space. Um, and so, you know, like on those, a couple of Sunday runs, I'd be scheduled for three miles and I'm like, I drive 15 minutes to get to this green space. Like, is it even worth it <laughs> to to run only three miles? And he answers yes. Um, but that was a concession. And, and so that was a little bit hard, but, um, yeah, those were, those were the big differences.
0: Yeah. I think it's worth, um, highlighting as well that in the first like six weeks, um, maybe four to six weeks, we really struggled with trying to get you to slow down, like making that Mm -hmm. big shift from what you thought was like easy to, to now. Um, And we eventually settled on the heart rate stuff because you found that that was sort of what would keep you to those restrictions. But um, you know, a bit of pushback, you know, should I, can I run a little bit faster on this day? Like when things started improving, you know, can we start getting a bit faster? Um, If there was, the mileage that was backed off, like you said, the mileage reduced a little bit of pushback. Like, you know, can we, do we have to do eight miles? Can we do 10? Um, All that sort of thing <laughs> was just a bit of a play back and forth, um, mm-hmm. but eventually settled into a rhythm. And I think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, um the more this started working, the more you started realizing, okay, my pain is actually coming down. Um
1: mm-hmm.
0: Starting to see this momentum, it seemed like you sort of, bought into the, the approach. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, and I hope I'm hoping that I can add volume in the future, but and I understand that that's a gradual addition and, and yeah. that's just like jumping right in but uh, I apologize for that, <laughs> my outlook. Um, but yeah, the, the slow running, I think, um, I mean, as you said, it took a long time for me to, like, I've been using the, the term, like, I had to carve a new neural groove about what easy means. Um, right. and, and so, yeah, I mean, and it, the thing is that the science backs it up. And, and I knew that from a rational perspective, like I knew that I've read the 80, 20 (laughs) um, running book and, you know, I've read all about, you know, like training theory and, you know, making easy runs easy. Um, It's just that I had a number in my head that I associated with easy and that was not the reality. Um, Mm. And so, you know, that has, that has truly worked. Um, And, you know, I feel like I'm always going to want to push for more miles, but I'm happy to run those miles slower.
0: Yeah, and um, the same was with my sister. I did like a podcast episode with her like maybe two years ago now and um, she thought she was running slow and she was constantly tired, her legs were sore, she was like out of breath at the end of every run and her pace was really slow compared to all the other runners she'd be following on Strava and that sort of thing, but mm-hmm. she was still going too fast for her um, and that might not be fast. That That's from a fitness perspective, but we needed to sort of find a – a good slow pace for your injury at the same time and you know we did prepare for this marathon but you know constant reminders of expectations that actually this isn't going to be your fastest marathon like mm-hmm. you know yes you can do it yes we sort of uh, eventually said all right there's enough time here to you know put in the mileage to do the race but because speed is such a factor with this particular injury um and we really want it's really hard to break the cycle of you know Marathons, marathons, marathons. Faster, faster. PRs, Boston qualifiers, like all that sort of stuff. Um, Really hard to break that uh, mindset towards training and say, you know what? Okay, let's try to let's get to this race. Let's do the mileage, but let's have fun. Slow down um, and let this just uh, break the cycle of pain every single marathon. Let's get to the marathon in two or three years' time and be pain-free. Like, let's just break this cycle that's been happening for so long. Um, So that required a little bit of a shift, you know, changing Mm -hmm. some neural grooves a bit, which Mm -hmm. was good to see. (laughs) Um, What uh, approaching this, so we did the strides. You mentioned that the strides were, um, you know, an integral part of this sort of stuff. And you mentioned that at the start that was a vulnerability for this injury, like, you know, things would flare up for quite a while. Um, can you talk about what is acceptable in terms of your pain rules, like pain during a run, pain during a stride, um, symptoms afterwards? What would you deem acceptable?
1: Um, really, nothing above a two. Um, and so, and I have I've said this to many a PT that I'm really bad about talking about pain. It's so relative and it's so subjective. Um, but for me, you know, anything anything where, um, I'm, I'm running sort of like gingerly. Um, if it's affecting my stride where like, you know, you, you start running you're like, and you're kind of like, Ooh, like I have to, I have to like, um, close my stride a little bit. I can't really open up. Um, that, that, that is too much pain. Um, and so for me, that's like a three, um, on a scale from one to 10. And so, you know, where I, where I found my baseline is, you know, after strides or after a tough workout, um, I'll feel, you know, some, some pain up to a two during the day. And sometimes then, you know, for me, I often, it'll sometimes take two days for pain to resolve. So the next morning I'll wake up and I'll do the shoe off test and, um, I might be at like a one or two, but if I'm at anything above that, then it's time to really pull back, um, or slow down or, ditch the speed work the next day, if that's scheduled or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, it, the, the pain scale is a lot lower. Like it should mm-hmm. be a lot lower than what I was tolerating previously. Cause I was probably up around five, six, um, on some runs for the, like the past several years.
0: Yeah, So, uh, usually when it comes to pain rules, like you've, you've said, um, Pain is very subjective. People interpret pain in different ways. But I guess with enough practice, you'll recognize that your 2 out of 10 is probably the best, whereas someone else might be a 1, someone else might be a 3 based on how they perceive um, things. But generally speaking, a 5 or a 6 is too high in terms of um, pain during, pain afterwards. But you know, the third pain rule I go through is symptoms should improve week by week. Or in your case, probably like month by month, if we're looking at really chronic sort of time zones or time frames. But uh, to your point, the helpful thing was that shoe off test as like that thing to test and retest. You know, once a day, wake up, do that shoe off test. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, it's kind of like you press you're you're standing and you press one foot one heel into the front of your other foot, like you're trying to. Um, slide off your shoe, and that triggers a lot of uh, upper hamstring like strain or you know demand, and that can sometimes spark a lot of pain with this particular injury. So, good to see. Like it's good to have a baseline to say my baseline is a two out of ten every morning, and so if I do a workout the next morning, let me do my shoe off test. If it's a three, I know I'm not back to baseline. Um, if it's a two, I know I'm back to baseline, and as you've seen over the months and months, that two turned into a one, that mm-hmm. one turned into a zero. That um, week where you'd have three days of a one out of ten turned into two days a week turned into six days in a row of zero out of ten turned into like you know two weeks of zero out of ten. And so, seeing improvements week by week, that third pain rule, um, you have you definitely saw that that long term trend, which means you know things were clicking into place, things were heading into the right direction, but, um, wasn't smooth sailings. Um, no. <laughs> can, can you recall any particular frustrations or setbacks or flare-ups or anything like that? Yeah.
1: Um, so you often talk about rehab as nonlinear, and like that, that is very, very true. Um, you also talk about runners being impatient people and that is also very true. Um, that as you said, like there were definitely weeks where I'd see all of this progress and you know, my pain levels would be really low and I'd get so excited and I'd be like, I'm healed. And then the next week, you know, bam, I'm I'm back in pain again because I did something or I went a little harder on those strides. Or we progressed strides, you know, so I'm running six strides at 80%. We progressed that to 90%. And I'd been having like, you know, you know, I was I was down to zero or ones. And so that tells us, you know, that's time to progress and push that tendon a little bit more. And then it's you know, I'm back to that one or two. Um, and so that is, that is really frustrating. Um, and, you know, as you had mentioned earlier too, like we had said, and I, it took me a while to get there and recognize like, this is not going to be my fastest Boston. And the Boston Marathon is my favorite race in North America. Um, as I said, this was my fifth time running it. And up until this year, I have improved my, I've improved upon my time at this per, on this particular course um, and that did not happen this year, although this was my third fastest time. So, and, and I was right, ar- my fastest time is a 325 at Boston. Um, it's a really tactical, difficult course, um, for those that haven't run it. And, um, I, I, this year I ran a 327.14, so I wasn't that far off, <laughs> um, but you know, like I was a little disappointed, but it was also very expected, um, and, you know, like, and also, like, I, I spent no real time at race pace. And so this was really a victory. Um, trying to think what else. Um, yeah, I think, I think those were like the, the hardest things, uh, the, the biggest frustrations was just, um, you know, recognizing that I have to slow down, and I'm not going to hit the times that I want to, and then being patient with the process, because it just, yeah, it just takes this. You you've actually talked about this too. Like a muscle takes eight weeks or something like that to like see. I don't know to 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 see some some strength building. And a tendon takes way longer. What is it like twelve weeks to see any any sort of improvement? And then but really it's and when you're trying to heal a tendon or get it back to where it used to be, it takes even longer. And the longer you've had the problem, the longer it takes to heal it up um, and to recover. Yeah. And so, you know, like this is actually, this training cycle, when I look back at it, has been incredibly successful. Um, mm. even when, you know, I'm, I'm still a little frustrated that I wasn't, you know, two minutes faster, <laughs> but, um, it was, it, this was like a really, really good outcome.
0: That's probably one thing as well, because, um, I'm just remembering now when we started working together, you were like, oh, but I have made improvements in the Boston Marathon. Um you know, the last two times I've ran, I want to do better again. I want to keep that momentum. I want to keep this tangible improvement every time I do it. And so you were compelled to, without my guidance, if like none of this were to happen again, you had that expectation or the, you know, you put those standards on yourself to be like, I need to run faster this time to show that I'm improving. And if I do this again and it's slower than this momentum I've been building, then, you know, I'm losing progress and I'm not being successful in my marathon trainings and that sort of stuff. So that was, would have been tough to overcome as well to sort of, um, set those expectations.
1: Yeah. And it comes down to those, you know, like just, it's just, it's truly like a patience thing. You know, I just, I want to see upward momentum all the time. Mm. Um, you know, whether it's in running or in other aspects of my life. Um, and, and so, you know, when, when you are dealing with a tendon, you just have to completely slow everything down. Um, yeah, because it's not something that bounces back quickly. Um, but that I think that's also why it's so important to track progress. And you know, every single day, the the way that you you've had me track things is like every day, there's sort of a pain update. Um, and so we can go back and look at both the workout that was done and then the reaction in pain and track those weeks where, you know, we're, we're back down to zero before we progress. And then it makes complete logical sense that after a progression, there's going to be a little bit of a hiccup, a little bit of a flare, but as long as that flare is not above a one or two on the pain scale, we're doing something right.
0: Yeah. Talk about race day, talk about like you know what the day was like pace wise, symptom wise, level of enjoyment. Um, go ahead.
1: Well, any day that you run the Boston Marathon is a good day, so it doesn't matter what time you run it. Um, and, well said, yeah. And um, the, the crowds at the Boston Marathon are amazing. Um, they they always are, you know, marathoning is not a spectator sport, but for the city of Boston, it is, and and they come out in force, and there is nowhere along the 26.2 miles, um, where there are not fans screaming. And so, you know, and you go through these different little, little smaller towns. It's, um, it's a point to point marathon. And so, you know, you're, you're slowly making, you're slowly making your way, like from outside the city, hopping to Hopkington, um, all the way into Boston. And so that's really fun. It's also a net downhill course. So, um, that can be, you'd think that would be great. Like, Oh, this is built for fast times. It is not, um, (laughs) you, you burn out your quads pretty quick. Um, and so, um, I I went into this. You and I had talked about you know what um what kind of pace should I be doing? And I was like, yeah yeah. So you know maybe around an eight minute mile would be fine. And you were like, mm, no, let's like you know maybe up towards an eight forty five. Even a nine minute mile would not be a big deal. And I was like, mm-hmm, okay, <laughs> so, knowing that <laughs> I was going to go out for an eight minute mile. Um, and the you know the rookie mistake that everybody makes at Boston is going out too fast because it's a really really steep, um downhill at the very beginning but i was feeling really really good on race day and i knew leading up to it i had been feeling really good and i was seeing some some good paces in strides faster paces on strides and on my um two minute uphill intervals and so i was kind of like maybe i could go a little faster than than an eight minute mile and so i started out at a 750 And I held it. Um, there were, there were variations in, in mile paces throughout the race. Um, there are the famous Newton Hills that, um, it's only a 3% grade heartbreak hill, but it is, it's at mile 21. Um, and so Newton is miles. I don't know miles like 19 through 21 or something like that. I feel like it might be even longer, but they're really tough Hills and they're placed in a really tough spot. And so you, you see some, um, Mileage variation on paces there, but I ended up averaging a 7.51 mile for the entire marathon. And um, considering that I spent no time at race pace, I feel like this is a major big victory. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a good day. My my husband and my in laws um, came and cheered me on at mile 19. Um, so yeah, it was it was really fun. Boston is a fabulous city. So had a good day.
0: Congratulations, well done, yeah. and. Symptoms, symptoms during symptoms afterwards. What was that like?
1: So I could feel it during the marathon. Um, just like a little shadow, like a little, like a little bruise, um, like hardly anything. I mean, and we had, we had tapered, uh, tapered really well. Um, and you know, by the time I would I'd gotten to race day, like I was, I was at zero pain like heading into the marathon. So that was, um, That was really, really encouraging, um, because I had tapered and my mileage had decreased, um, things like my HRV was also like super high, way higher than normal, um, that's heart rate variance. Um, and so, you know, like that was looking really good. Um, and then the weeks after the marathon, like, so the first week after the marathon, I don't do anything. I, I just lay around and I was incredibly sore um, in my quads because of all the downhill. I had like no pain in in the tendon, which is weird. Um, and I don't know if that was because my quads were masking that pain or something, because my my pop my quads were just really, really, really sore. Um, and then I started running again the second week after the marathon, just super slow and easy as I felt. Um, and really, really no symptoms for like the first 2 weeks it wasn't until like i think it was the 4th week where i started adding in just a little speed work just to test some boundaries and and then it came back i found some boundaries what i am able to <laughs> do right now so um yeah. but it was it was also just really encouraging to know that like the training had worked and what i did on marathon day didn't do anything to to break the tendon or to set me back um I'm basically, you know, where I was when I went into the marathon, if not a little stronger. Um, mm. So I think that that's also a um, pretty good mark of success.
0: Yeah. And seems like we've broken the cycle. Hopefully you're going from marathon to marathon with, again, that zero pain. We, um, You know, we, we constantly test out our limits. Um and we're constantly flirting with, you know, what you can get away with, what the tendon can get away with and what you want to do. And that's always going to kind of exist in the the world of marathon training. But um, obviously we're miles away from that five, six out of 10 pain, just getting by, training, surviving a race and those sorts of things. Um, and yeah, it's it's always that the balance that we constantly play. And what's next? What do you have coming up? What do you... What are you looking forward to and what goals do you have?
1: Yeah. So, um, we haven't talked about this yet, but I did find a fall marathon. So fall is September, October, November over here, stateside. Um, and that is in the state of New York and it coincides with my university's fall break. Um, so early October and, um, I have been, I, I I think I saw you in the spreadsheet earlier. So I've been working on, I did not finish my homework because I'm not done with it, but I've been <laughs> working on a, a training plan that is highly aspirational that I fully expect you to be like, um, no. <laughs> um, and we'll that get we will, to that. Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> modify that as needed. Um, so that I don't completely blow up in training. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what's next. As I said, I'm, I'm tentatively thinking about a PR, um, or a PB, personal best personal record. Um, and so like, I'm, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much, but I'm getting really excited about like dipping my toe into that realm again and, and pushing again in ways that I have not been able to. So that's, good. that's exciting.
0: It's good that like this hope has turned around, like at the start of your journey, you're like, uh, with all this pain, you're like, well, is this going to be it? Am I ever going to?" PR again, or at least push for a PR or, you know, am I getting old Are my hopes and dreams and all that sort of stuff out the window. It's good that you see they've really turned it around and starting to get that, that hope again. And, you know, the ambitions of a PR, that's just a good sign that things are working well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, first jumping on our injury chat, you have this, I could just see this dissonance of on one side, love marathons, want to PR, want to continue running hard, want to do all that sort of stuff. And then on this other side, it is, I had this pain for so long. This pain is so high. It's lasting forever. Um, I want to run for the rest of my life. I want this longevity. I want to enjoy it. And like, you've got these two conflicting ideas, these two conflicting goals and all that sort of stuff that you want to have. And I've never met a runner who's so passionate that says they don't want to run for the rest of their lives, for longevity, for mental health, for all that sort of thing. Um, And this six, 10, 12 month period of um, reshifting your focus is finally going to break that cycle. And in five years time, this 10 month period is going to seem like a little blimp of okay, that just, that's just the time I focused on my rehab and now I'm just soaring forward after that rather than doing the old, the old Ashley where you've just gone from race to race and then in 10 years' time from now, you're still in the exact same spot than where you found yourself. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's a great success in more ways than one, both for the running PRs and the ambitions and the goals and that sort of stuff, but also from the rehab, less pain, you're stronger, deadlifting over a hundred pounds, all that sort of stuff. You're a new human. So well done for, I guess, taking all this on board, having the patience and share, like having the successes and then sharing those successes. So thanks very much for coming on.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: If you are struggling to overcome an injury, you can jump on a free 20 minute injury chat with me, which you can book through my calendar in the show notes. While you're in the show notes, elevate your running IQ by jumping onto my free email list so you can receive material to help rehab your injury, lower your injury risk and increase your performance. If emails aren't for you, consider my Facebook group, Instagram and YouTube channels. And remember, each insight you get from these resources brings you one step closer to your next
1: running breakthrough.